You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee. My name is Randy Bolander and uh, wow, what a week we have had. What you're going to hear this morning is a message that was already finished before Roe v. Wade was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court last Friday. A message was done in the can, obviously ended up making a few tweaks to it uh, to reflect current events. But in reality, uh, this is what the Lord laid on the heart. And the idea that it all came together on the same week was, um, was, was pretty sweet. We talked at the beginning about a constitutional amendment that is on the docket for Kansas to be voted on on August 2nd. Now, maybe you don't live in Kansas, maybe you think it doesn't matter, but this kind of thing does because now that abortion law is balkanized across the United States, uh, you're going to increasingly see uh, laws enacted and um, things happen in response to the differences in laws from one state to the other. Now, understand the hearing and the final word on Roe v. Wade is a huge blessing, but things are not over. And this is the kind of thing that we will be leaning into for really some time. Thanks. The funny part about Friday and this weekend at all is this, is my message didn't change. Like, my message was done before all of this happened. Now, obviously, I'm going to reference a few things, but it's almost as this there's a divine hand just kind of guiding things or something. But in light of Friday's decision by the Supreme Court, we are going to take communion at the close of the service. Lou Engle always taught us to pray, Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins. And the sins of my nation, God, end abortion and sin revival. So we're going to pray that whole thing and we're going to ask for everything that he's got for us. Because we are living in the days of answered prayers. But I want to read two verses and draw draw a line between our country and your own soul. Because we're going to speak for a minute about civics here, just a little bit. But we're primarily speaking about the spirit. The spirit is always greater than civics. Okay? There's principles behind that that affects our civics. But the spirit matters more. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb a reward. Exodus 20.12, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. Say, how are you stitching these two together? Because all through Scripture, there's been a symbiotic relationship between fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. You cannot dishonor a parent without bringing shame on the child, and you can't put a child in pain without putting a parent in pain. The nature of the relationship is they feel what the other feels, and they are blessed when the other one is blessed. Jesus talked about it that way. He said, man, to know me is to know the Father. We're so close that what you think about me, you're thinking about God, and what you think about God, you're thinking about me. I say that because the pro-life initiative that is in the works really recognizes the connection between the parent and the child as both having the image of God. And that to mistreat a parent is to mistreat a child, to mistreat a child is really to mistreat a parent. 
So in conjunction with this message this morning, I want to talk a little bit at the very outset about the value them both amendment that's before Kansas, why it's needed and what it means. Because we have an opportunity for legislation in the state of Kansas to better reflect this symbiotic relationship between parents and children that is described in the Bible. Now, before you panic or decide that I'm getting political, let me just say unto you, chill out, okay? Two reasons here. First of all, there's nothing inherently wrong with politics. Politics is the art of getting things done. What you're worried about is treachery, okay? You're worried about backstabbing and what you see on television. I'm not talking about that. Second of all, this is beyond politics. This is actually a moral issue. Now, it may split along political lines, but this is something that both sides will argue from right or wrong. We're not here endorsing candidates. We're choosing to stand with righteousness on an issue. And immediately, some of you have been conditioned to say, well, you know, you can't legislate morality. Absolutely true. You cannot legislate morality any more than you can cure stupid. You just can't. But you can legislate morally. And the idea of, well, but we, we can't do certain things by laws. We've got to change people's hearts. When it is a life and death issue, sometimes you have to take action. If I am driving down the road and I see somebody has pulled you over and pulled you out of the car and they're beating you on the head with a small baseball bat, would you like me to stop and try and change their heart? Or would you like me to stop them and then try and change the heart later? Life and death issues, you act. In April 2019, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled that the 1859 Kansas Constitution had within it an inherent right to unfettered abortion. As if in 1859, that's what they were thinking. And suddenly, all of the protections and all of the safeguards over abortion, things like parental consent, things like late-term abortion, all of those things just evaporated. Because the Kansas Supreme Court decided it was a part of the Constitution. In 2021, both the Kansas House and the Senate passed an amendment called Value Them Both. What it does is allows our legislators to have the power to enact legislation regarding abortion and regulates. Right now it's the Wild West. August 2nd, the entire state of Kansas is going to vote to pass or not pass on that amendment. If it passes... The laws that your representatives that you voted for that are going to Topeka to vote on will be allowed to be passed. It just puts the power in the hands of the representatives. Actually, it doesn't change anything. It gives them the opportunity. It actually gives you more of a voice. If it fails, we are above all people most miserable. Especially in a post-Roe v. Wade world. Because as states around us begin to ban abortion, if Kansas remains the Wild West, Kansas becomes the destination. If this amendment does not pass, the Kansas Supreme Court will officially have declared an abortion industry almost entirely unregulated, open for business. Now, this is how serious this is. Historically, when states have differed on moral issues like abortion, or slavery, or even divorce, it has meant a phenomenal tension at the border. In the late 1890s, South Dakota became a state. 
When it became a state, it had almost no regulation on divorce. Divorce was hard to get everywhere else in the nation. South Dakota was easy. So everyone from the East Coast that wanted a divorce, you know where they'd go? South Dakota, Sioux Falls, had a hotel that was literally referred to as the divorce colony. People would come, stay in this hotel for three months, become a citizen of South Dakota, get their divorce, and go back home. If this amendment doesn't pass, Johnson County will become an abortion colony. Can you imagine the money to be made in the hospitality industry? Hospitality. Housing, food, rental cars. We got a new airport. Do you not think that's where it's going? If we're the only state for a four or five state radius that has unfettered abortion? This is serious, folks. With Roe v. Wade ended, what Sioux Falls was to divorce, Johnson County will become to abortion. Every restaurant, Airbnb, rental car agency will boom, but we will become what we have chosen. This morning, I'm driving in, listening to the news. Planned Parenthood announced over the weekend that they are building an abortion supercenter on the border of Oregon and Idaho. Why? Because Idaho has banned abortion, Oregon has not. If they can plan that and announce it over the weekend after Roe v. Wade closes, how long do you think they're going to wait until this amendment is passed or failed to do the same thing in our town? Now, some of you are like, you're a little intense about this, Randy. I am, but I'm not alone. In fact, I want to show you a quick three-minute video of... uh, some people I would really consider city fathers in this city who speak into this. Some of you who are even sitting here thinking, I wish we had a little more reasonable voice before us. Uh, listen to some of my well-respected but equally unreasonable friends. This is not a partisan issue. This is a human rights issue. This is a sanctity of life issue at its very core. This issue should break our hearts it should send us to our knees. If you don't speak up for the unborn, who is going to? Who's going to do it? In 2019, the Kansas Supreme Court issued a ruling that forced the state of Kansas to recognize an unlimited and unrestricted right to abortion. I think it's just common sense that, you know, that we would not allow for, as the people in the state of Kansas, to have an unregulated abortion industry. That's just a horrible idea. Scripture is incredibly clear on this issue that every human life is valuable to the heart of God because every person has been made in His image. So the Bible just, it cherishes life, it protects life, it upholds life. Abortion on demand that's legalized is the most compelling moral issue of our time. So thoughtful people, people of faith, people of goodwill, people who believe in human rights need to take this very seriously. The Value Them Both Amendment is a pro-life constitutional amendment that restores the right of the people of Kansas through their elected officials to regulate the abortion industry and to protect both mothers and their babies. This Value Them Both Amendment, if we do not pass this, I believe that Kansas becomes a safe haven for abortion in our nation. 
that there will be people that come from all over the United States to come to Kansas to have an abortion. I would hate for Kansas to become the destination for other states. There's no limits to when that abortion can happen. So, I mean, literally within minutes of when the child's gonna be born, you know, they, they can kill the child in the womb and call it legal and call it an inalienable right that lacks mercy. Let's rise up as one people on the basis of God's clearly defined word on the basis of life and let's speak with one voice and let's vote to pass this amendment and let's protect the life of the unborn here in this state. In order to protect a life in Kansas, we need your help. Talk to your family, talk to your friends and your neighbors about the importance of the Value Them Both Amendment. Visit our website, valuethemboth.com, and most importantly, don't forget to vote yes on August 2nd. Out in the foyer on the way out, we've got some literature out there, some signs if you'd like one. Some of you, I can cut the tension with a knife in here this morning, it's awesome. Um, doesn't bother. No, I, I will never stand and endorse a candidate. I, 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 not the, I reserve the right to like poke any candidate I want. Like I just, you know, and so I endorse one and then I'm stuck. Um, I, I see myself more as a, as a, you know, Old Testament prophet character that scares them. I'm happy with that. But on an issue like this, this matters. So thank you for listening to this and just weighing this. You live on the Missouri side, pray. You live in the Kansas side, pray and vote. If you want to grab something on the way out, feel free to do that. Check it out and value them both. Just to be very honest, how many of you would say your heart is tired of this issue? Like you're just, you don't want to read anymore about it. You're, just, you're tired. I am. I'm just, I'm weary. Some of you, even as we think about these things in the same way, with the same passion, when you hear it coming, you're tired. It is what Paul wrote about when he said, do not be weary in well-doing. Some of you have engaged in this battle for four decades, almost five decades. You are legitimately and understandably weary, maybe a little anger. It's so wearisome that if we don't hold our hearts right in this conversation... We go a very dark place. There is something combative about the Kansas-Missouri border. There has been down through history. From 150 years ago, when it was the seedbed for the battle called Bleeding Kansas, the western frontier of the Civil War. 25 minutes from here, John Brown, who was an abolitionist who hated slavery, had a righteous cause, but he had an unrighteous heart. And he hated slavery so bad he went and he killed his slave-owning neighbors. We've got to guard our hearts in this issue. Because it's very easy to go a dark place. And we want to walk this out with grace. Many of us find ourselves tired. Tuesday morning, as I knew I would be speaking about this before we knew Roe v. Wade was coming to an end. Like the message was done. I started thinking about how tired and weary I was even of thinking about all this. And I had to put my notes away and I just get on my face before the Lord. I said, Lord, I need to hear your heart on this. And not an audible voice, but inwardly he spoke to me. He said, engagement for the battle of life matters because your life matters. 
People don't value the unborn because they don't value their own lives at the level that I value their own lives. They don't understand how they matter to me. And I begin to ask God about his thoughts about my own life and your lives. God is heavily invested in your life. Not just the results of your life, not just what you do for him, but the very life that he gave you. John 10.10 says, thief only comes to kill and destroy. He said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Like he is vested in that. So my heart this morning is not to win an argument. My heart is to make sure that we all value life, including the one we're living, as a gift. This is my prayer, that when we leave here this morning, we understand the gift that God has given us. We can try hard through our life to give, us, give him our best, can't we? We just you know, be the best that we can and work hard, and it's a little bit like your second grader bringing home their art project. Here you go, Lord. The Lord's like, no, oh, thanks. You know, it's like the best we can do. Eh, it's not that great. So how do we walk out what he has given us in a way that honors him? How do we honor him with our life? What is the closest relative we have in the physical world when you think about it? We know that we're made in God's image, but what's the thing we share the closest relationship with? Scientists might say, well, maybe apes. I would say dust. Life, the breath of God, differentiates us from the mud ball that lays in your yard. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. We live lives and have purpose, not because we're a little bit more developed than an orangutan, but because somewhere along the line, God breathed life into mud, and he lends us that life all of our days. Solomon was a smart man. 1 Kings 4.30 says his wisdom surpassed all the wisdom of the people of the east and the wisdom of Egypt. This is how he described the body once the breath of God leaves it. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, all go to one place. We all are from dust, and to dust we shall return. You understand that when the breath of God, what is different about you, leaves, you don't revert to being orangutans. You go back to dust. So understanding that that life is a gift, how do we regard it? What do you do with a gift that is given to you? Working for years in the nonprofit world, there's a phrase that is used to determine what happens when you receive a gift. And the phrase is this donor intent. When you run a nonprofit or in the regular world, you have to think about the fact that you are given something, what was it given for? If a donor gives $1,000 for you to establish a scholarship and you in turn paint the offices with that, you have not honored donor intent. You make a donor very angry and you might be in legal trouble, depending on how you raise the money. Now, donor intent can sink a nonprofit if it's not structured well. I've seen churches that have gotten sunk by donor intent because you go to, when you go to pay your tithes, you can give to any of 40 departments and all of a sudden the youth department has $40,000 and there's no money to pay the utilities, you know? That's, that's a real thing that actually happens if they don't do things well. But donor intent can also keep an organization on track and in perspective. In working with nonprofits, there are times where we've sat down and said, what would the donors have wanted us to do with this money? 
When you think about your life, your existence, your breath, your hopes, your dreams, your passions, all the stuff that you are made of that you couldn't possibly have concocted on your own that came from the Lord, what was the donor intent? When he put breath in you, what was his plan? Job is one of my favorite books of the Bible, which I understand is a little weird. Okay, It's not the weirdest thing about me, but it's weird. But I love Job because there's only a couple characters in the whole book, but man, are they complex. And some of the guys that say some of the worst things also say some of the smart things. It's almost like real life. You know? You're just looking for one person who's consistently right. But in Job, one of Job's friends, who gives him some really horrible advice, also says this, 33.4, the Spirit of God has made me, the breath of Almighty God gives me life. And it wasn't a uniquely Old Testament perspective either. When the writers of the Scripture into the New Testament that are consumed much more with the world of the Spirit talk about life, they talk about it coming from Him. John 1. Three and four, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came unto being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That was a value that's been held for millennia. The writers of these ancient books from the Old Testament to the New were beating the drum. The breath of life in you is a gift of God. We are breathing because God allows it. Acts 17, 24, and 25. And the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of the heavens and the earth, did not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. If God is the donor of life, what was donor intent? If the breath in you, the thing that separates you from dust, was a gift from God, what was he thinking? When he breathed life into you. Let me give you four quick things that were on the mind of God when he gave your physical body breath. Number one, a unique and intimate relationship with you. Now, the point of the donation of the breath in your lungs, of the giving a clump of mud a life and calling it made in his image, it was not that God was lonely, okay? He wasn't lonely. He was, God was there with his son Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. They had communion. They were together. There was a lot going on. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't bored. He had just created a giraffe. Like he had things to do. He was creative. He created species that we're still finding. And so he wasn't bored and he wasn't lonely. But from the beginning of time, he wanted a relationship with something that he had made in his image. And from the beginning of time, we see the story of God is one of him pursuing man, going, hey, 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 hey. It's like raising a toddler. Hey, hey. Constantly. Genesis 3, 9, the Lord called to the man and said, hey, where are you? We want a relationship here. Go to the end of the book, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody hears my voice, opens the door. Hey, hey, I'll come in and eat with you. What is remarkable is that the God who is pursuing people for the purpose of relationship is pursuing people who are increasingly lonely. I'll give you a couple statistics here. 
47% of Americans claim they have no meaningful real-life interactions with people. 47%. And even if they are interacting, in many cases, it's just transactional. You know, giving the girl $3 and her giving you coffee is not a meaningful relationship. And other than coffee, everything else is bought online. We just move the whole transaction online. And 47% going, I don't interact with anybody. 46% of Americans feel lonely, while 47% feel left out. I don't know what's going on with that other percent. I just always, I've thought about that all week. I don't really know what that means. It's like, I'm lonely, I just don't feel left out. Okay, is that one? I'm lonely, but I've made peace with it. Some of you, as we're talking about statistics, you are imagining the elderly living, living by themselves or some, somebody who's a bit of a hermit, you know, Ted Kaczynski minus the bombs, or I don't know. You're thinking about people who just made themselves walled off. 67% of females and 54% of males felt lonely in college, in a dorm full of people. This is, this is the crazy part. Lack of social relationships put Americans at a 32% higher risk of a stroke. It's killing us. Loneliness has us in extreme social and physical danger, and the relationship is the reason that God breathed life into us. If you are lonely, you would be foolish to think in a group of this size that there aren't people who are lonely. You're lonely for the Lord and, by extension, with each other. Sometimes the best way we find connection with him is with each other. Jesus is knocking on the door, and it's not just about salvation. It's about friendship. It's about accompanying you. And it's about connecting you with others. Life was meant to be lived with God and with others. It's more valuable that way. It was the donor intent was that we would not be lonely. Some of us are, are talking now about launching some small, small groups and, and a men's group that grabs coffee once a week and just looks through scripture and stuff like that. Let me tell you, when you hear about these, jump on them. Or if you're going, you know what, I, I'm so lonely. I'm in the 47, 48%. I'm lonely, rejected, and the whole bit. I, if you want to launch a group, talk to us. We, we want to work with you. Because donor intent was that we'd be in fellowship with one another. And that doesn't mean sitting in rows. The second part of donor intent, is an interaction of provision. So what are you talking about here? The donor intent, when he breathed life into you, is that he would provide for you. We are a worrisome people, okay? I regularly pay attention to economic indicators which have no direct bearing on me. Like zero. You know, I'm just paying attention to it. It kind of, it kind of worries me a little bit. Barnes & Noble reported recently that books dealing with anxiety rose in sales in 25% in one year. You might think, well, I mean, we had a pandemic. Yeah, except that was 2017. That was pre-pandemic. Now they can't even keep the books on the shelves. What do people worry about? They worry about health. They worry about relationships, but mostly they worry about provision. They worry about having enough to do what they need to do. It's a baked-in concern since Adam and Eve left the garden and thought, i got to find a job. It's been like that from the beginning. 
Yet worry about provision has accomplished absolutely nothing for any human being in history. In fact, it's hurt us more than it's helped us. It's giving us a stroke. Midway through a parable, Jesus said this about the effect of worrying about provision. And what worrying about provision, the effect that it has on our ability to hear from the Lord. Because people take in information multiple different ways, and in some of those people receive information from the Lord, there's a great harvest on their lives, and other people take in the same information, falls flat. And this is what he said in Mark 4.19, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, those are different things. The cares of the world are actually legitimate. Your Evergy bill, legitimate care of the world. Okay? $5 gallon gas, legitimate care of the world. Groceries going up, legitimate care of the world. But worry about those things and the fact that we're just a little bit crazy about finances. Enter in and choke the word and it produces, it proves unfruitful. The word of the Lord over your life is choked out by your worry for provision. I'm not just telling you because it's in the scripture. I'm telling you because I've lived this at times. And some of you have as well. There are things that are ours in the promises of God that we thwart with worry about whether or not we will get enough. On one hand, it's it's understandable. I mean, again, we're paying prices for things that we've never paid in our lives if you've lived in America very long. These are strange times. You, You know, you go to find baby formula, you can't find it on the shelves. We never thought we'd live in days like this. Do not let the intensity of the season stop you from laying hold of the promises of eternity. We literally do not have what we need because we worry about what we need. We worry about what we need and it chokes out the word and it chokes out faith in our own lives. Luke 12, 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? You ever see a bird land in your fence and go, he looks anxious. (laughs) He's twitching. Bird hasn't even thought about it. Birds never starve to death. How do you know that? Because he's standing there on your fence. He's alive. They don't worry. And the Lord provides for them. What if your worry over finances was actually keeping provision from you? And you think you're being responsible. Jesus feels like it's distrustful. And you're actually choking out what he wants to bring to fruition in your life. I want to take 30 seconds and I want to pray for those of you that are worrying about provision right now and in your heart of hearts, you feel like you're being responsible. Like you're, you're trying to do the right thing, but the raven has a better deal than you do right now. And he sleeps outside. Father, I ask right now that you would rest on those who are plagued with worry and you would lift from their hearts the heavy weight. They would consider the raven's And they would see that donor intent in their life is the provision of the Lord. Father, I pray you would unlock finances and answer prayers. And that the word would spring forth in their hearts in this day. 
We ask for stories, even in the next weeks, about how you unlock things in Jesus' name. Amen. Your life's more valuable to God than what it will take you to keep you alive. You're a good investment. Okay, he's not going to starve you out. Consider the birds of the field. You'll be fed. He, his intent was relationship with you. His intent was provision for you. Third, his intent was a plan for your lives. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had the graduating seniors up here. And, you know, I did what all graduating seniors don't like. which say, hey, what is your plan? And I know they don't like it. I always do it anyway. Because, you know, honestly, sometimes we just don't know what the plan is. And I'd love to tell our graduating seniors that changes. That's a lie. Sometimes you still don't know what the plan is. Let me speak what I hope is a word of encouragement to you, if that's your situation. Even if you don't have a plan, God has a plan. And your life is vital to that plan. And his plan predates the predicament you're in. And whatever you did to get into this predicament, his plan includes getting you out. Because from the beginning of your life, he had a plan. He spoke to Jeremiah 1.5. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, this is why we, we battle for children, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now there are theologians that will tell you, oh, you can't use that scripture because that was only for Jeremiah. Well, no, Jeremiah was uniquely, I'm not saying everyone here is a prophet to the nations, I'm saying in the womb, there was a plan for your life. From the beginning. That was the word of Jeremiah, but the principle is true about your life. And Jeremiah was not the only one in the Bible that thought the crazy zigzag route of their life was actually the plan of God. Paul had a crazy life. Like, he went to describe it one day. He's like, let me tell you how it's been for my life. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28. It says, five times at the hands of the Jews, I had 40 lashes, less one. You know why? Because they were convinced 40 lashes would kill somebody. So let's just make him mostly dead. And let's let him heal up and do it again. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, the daily pressure on me from the anxiety of all the churches. He's like... Sorry, it's been a couple years. And on top of that, I'm pastoring. This, you know, brings to memory my, my friend Nate Edwards in, in Redding, California with his shirt that says, I pastored through a pandemic and I still don't know how it went. You know, I mean, he's, he's saying all of this stuff happened and the anxiety of leading the church is on me. Yet when he's writing to the church in Galatia, he says this about his life in 115. But when he who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, he's like, you know, all this whole journey, it's all been a plan. The Lord's, this is a part of a plan. The God who brought you through this far, maybe your list is not as bad as Paul's, maybe in some ways it's worse. But all of it is a part of a plan that was put in place before you were born. When we say value them both, we're saying we value you. Your life matters. 
There's nothing more discouraging than not seeing the way forward or not believing that there is a plan. It's, it's the most dismal, discouraging, like it's just, you can't see a way, it's awful. You can live without seeing backwards. You can't live without seeing forwards. The weekend Zion was born, Zion's my son who led worship this morning. The weekend he was born, uh, we went and bought an uh, SUV. Uh, because we had been driving all summer a minivan with a mysterious gas leak. And it was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And the, the I mean, Kelsey had to quit smoking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. No. It was like, no, you would like, you would like live in mortal fear of striking a match in this. The whole van would just explode. I'm going to pay for that one really bad. <laughs> no, she quit way before that. No. Uh, <laughs> no. So we bought this SUV. And I love this SUV. We drove, we drove it till he was 12. I think we put like 180,000 miles on it. We drove it to Colorado. We drove it to Florida. We drove it to Washington, D.C. We were in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. in 2005 in this SUV driving into the Capitol when all of a sudden we hear air raid sirens and everybody is streaming out of the Capitol running down the street towards us. It was like we were at the beginning of the Boston Marathon, but everyone was wearing a suit. And, it was, and all of it, we're trying to, we just stop in the street and people are running by us. And all of a sudden, fighter jets go flying over us. I didn't know what was happening. I put the truck in four low and we climbed up over the median and went out. <laughs> Hank William Jr. is right. A country boy will survive. He'll find a way to make it work. And I, we got out on the highway and got completely out of town. And some guy had flown a light plane into Capitol airspace, gotten lost. And they scrambled jets. This is like right after, you know, 2001. So everybody was in a panic about it. So we drive the wheels off this truck for years. And eventually, the, of all things to wear out, the rear view mirror wouldn't stay connected. You'd hit a railroad track or something, it would fall. And it was heavy. And it would hit the console, you know. And you, oh, you'd put it back up. And boom, and it'd fall. And uh, it would scare the fire out of people who were riding with you. Because they weren't used to that. And so finally, I would do this thing when the mirror would fall. I would just grab it and throw it over my shoulder and say, we don't believe in looking backwards. Just make people nervous. You can actually do pretty well not looking backwards. You can't do very well not looking forwards. You can navigate without a rearview mirror-ish. You can't navigate without a windshield. You can't navigate without saying, where are we going here? Jesus knows where we're going here. He has a plan for your life. Donor intent <sighs> breathes life into mud. When he did that, he goes, oh, I got a plan. I got a plan. And it isn't that they lose the windshield. They can live without a rearview mirror. There's a lot of junk back there anyway. But they can't live without a plan. Even so, the creator of the universe knows the plans that he has for your future. Your life matters. This isn't just about babies. This is about you. I want to ask if Zion would come. I said four things. I'll give you this, this fourth thing real quick. Your life matters because it is a way to impact the future. Your life matters not just because you're going to exist right now, but because you're going to impact the future. Average life expectancy in the United States is just a little bit under... 80. I hesitate to mention that to some of you, okay, because uh, you're already ahead of the curve. You're achievers, okay, good for you. 
But this is what some of you who are 25 don't understand, is that those who are 85 are looking back at it like you look at high school and they go, boy, that went by fast. Like, it's just poof. It's gone. Your life was put in place not only to have an impact during the course of your lifetime, but have an impact on eternity. Over the, what I call the horizon of your life. A couple of different ways. One, through family, obviously. Psalm 127 says children are an inheritance from the Lord. The Bible talks to them about them as arrows in your quiver. Those of you that are raising kids, you need to think about this. God gave you breath to impact these children. Even those of you that are having adults, you have adult children, you're still mom and dad. God gave you those children so that you can launch them over the horizon of your lives that you will have impact when you are long dead. Kelsey and I have intentionally made sacrifices and not had certain impact or, or renown and things in our own life because we are banking on having impact beyond our lives. Not everybody has to do it this way. There's a hundred different ways to do it. But your family was given to you so that your life would have meaning and impact when you return to dust. And it will mean some of you making choices that look foolish to your neighbors, but will look brilliant in a hundred years. We are offered the opportunity to have impact in eternity with anything that we give to the Lord. That could be money, could be time, could be influence. A.W. Tozer said this, whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Anything you do for Jesus instantly lasts for eternity. That's why it's honestly why it's easy to give when you think about that. Money's like a vapor, isn't it? Do you ever think you would go through so much? Many of you are making more money right now than you could have imagined 20 years ago, and you don't have any more than you did before. It's like you're shoveling it with a bigger shovel. It's like, wow, do you ever think we'd go through this much money? Never in our lives. It's just life, it's a vapor. But money, like time, like effort, like prayer, anything given to Christ, it is instantly entered into immortality. You want your life to matter beyond your own physical impact. On this weekend, when we, we celebrate life and we're so excited about what the Lord has done, let me tell you, the Lord is as excited about the life he gave you as he is about the lives of these babies. You matter to him that much. Now, I said at the outset we wanted to take communion. Scattered around our bags with communion emblems. And if you could just take one, and, and uh, Brian, if you can get me one as well. We want to take communion just to recognize all the Lord has done. Let's just take a moment and worship in this way. Stand with me if you would.
circle back to that prayer that I referenced at the outset of the service. If you know it, join me with as we pray. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. 
Father, we lean into the second part of that prayer. You have done what we believed and hoped for for so many years. And we believe you have a plan for our nation. Not because we're better than the other nations of the earth, but just because you're a good God. So as we receive this broken body, this emblem of the sacrifice you paid, we say thank you and we ask for the fullness of all that it means. Lord, we ask for the fullness of the donor intent of the very breath in our lungs. Let's partake of the bread. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. And we ask for a great communion revival in our nation. We ask that it would receive the body and the blood. That we would proclaim your death looking forward to your return. Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake of the cup. Father, we love you. I ask that you would rest with a special grace on this body today. For those that are joining us online, you would rest in their homes. In Jesus' name. Go give, leave lives that matter. God gave you one. Amen.